so much shame around not being able to have children, having children and losing children, it not going right, that it's so great. It's so, I'm so grateful that you would have me on this because I just like anytime you can get a story out about how it's okay if it goes wrong. Absolutely. And there can still be a happy ending and you can still take that, that can be a part of your journey, even the sad parts. They don't need to weigh you down. They can just be a part of your story. So it's a really great platform. Thank you so much. That beautiful voice that you just heard was Liz Lehman. Liz has not only experienced stillbirth, but also multiple miscarriages and medical challenges with her pregnancies. This episode today is not going to be an easy one to listen to, as we are shining a light on the struggle that comes with stillbirth. While this topic is not top of everyone's list, it is one that if you've stuck around and are still listening, it's important to share so that those who have experienced it know that they're not alone and that there's still hope. So I decided to release this episode this week because June 26th is a very special day. Not only is it my birthday, but it is also the birthday of Liz's angel, Sunny. This episode is dedicated to Sunny Andrew and all the rays of sunshine that watch over us. Happy birthday, Sunny. Well, Liz, first of all, I have to say, before we dive into the nitty gritty of this, because it's going to be a, a touching, deep, important topic to discuss, I find myself like caught between, you know, a rock and a hard place because I look at you and and I look at you on Instagram and you just warm my heart. Your oh, smile. Oh, that's so sweet of you to oh, say. Oh my gosh. <laughs> You're just like a, a beam of sunshine. Oh and my gosh. I, thank I, you. I, that's so lovely of you to say. <laughs> you are. I literally, I, right on my notes, and the very first thing I said is look at her smile because when I was oh, doing research on you, thank you, that's all I saw was just this big, beautiful su- sunshine and smile. Oh. And I think what we're talking about today and the work that you do I think that really is going to be your superpower, you know, um, in sharing that with with women in the world. And as we were talking before, you called yourself a mother lover. I'm which a mother I lover, absolutely. Phrase. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting that you say that. I'm. I'll be 45 in July. My journey to everything, and then ultimately my profession, has been a long one. Um, but you know, filled with all the things that make it great: exhaustion, sadness, excitement, joy, and. I've landed in this spot that I've really like honed in on my passion and what I think is so desperately needed because I think as women, whether it as a result of societal pressures or whatever, where we've landed is we're so hard on ourselves and there's so many ways to carry guilt as a woman, whether you're a mother or you're trying to be a mother or you're an aunt or a best friend just always and it's life is hard enough like if i can offer one little spot to be a cheerleader to know that if you made it through a day and you smiled twice counted as success and let's move on and try again that's sort of where i've landed and and i do it's thank i appreciate so much that you find a moment of sunshine when you're tuning into whatever goofy thing I'm doing for the day. Big time, big time, <laughs> big time. And I highly recommend anyone listening after this episode, you got to click over and I'm, I promise you, you'll be smiling. <laughs> oh, thank you. So Liz, you are the founder of Nourished Families and you serve as a postpartum doula, 
I love this though, that you focus on full family health and wellness. First, we're gonna really dive into your story. We're gonna talk about some hard things today, stillbirth, miscarriage, and specifically the struggles that women tend to endure on this path into motherhood. And the reason why we're gonna do it is because it needs to be talked about. We need to try to bring light to it so that we can get rid of the shame and that Absolutely. we can you know, not have it be this thing that's ignored. Before we go into the story, I just wanted to touch on and ask you, what is the importance of a doula in your opinion? I know that you know now you are one, but you also had one and, and you'll touch on that in your story, but just in general, right now, what is the importance of that? And would you say that that's something that aspiring moms should consider? Well, a thousand percent aspiring families all parents, however you get to parenthood, whether you've carried a baby, whether you adopt a baby, all new parents should have a doula. And in some countries, I would work for the government. Women leave the hospital with a doula. And, for, and I think it's Finland for a year. So what is a doula and why should we have them? It's support and it comes in all forms. So, you know, I think as women, especially, we decide to have children and you think you're just going to know what to do in all aspects. And you may be someone who babysat and could change a diaper and fill a bottle, but it's one thing to be able to be a teacher or a babysitter or whatever and have that baby for a finite amount of time and go home and rest. And then to be a parent where you have now taken on, I always tell families, the project of dealing with a 24-hour need machine. And new parents tend to lose themselves in that moment of, even when you can rest, when you have those quiet moments, sort of the anticipation of it happening again, like this person's gonna need me again, and I'm gonna have to be up and doing it again. And a doula comes in, different than a baby nurse, a baby nurse comes into a home and tends to the baby. They do the baby's laundry, they feed the baby, they clean the baby, and they've got the baby and parents can escape. And that, and there is a need for that as well, but a doula comes in and cares for everybody. Generally the birth parent, so the mom or whoever what does that, They and they care not just for their functional needs, but their emotional needs as well. So do a little bit of light house cleaning, they will meal prep for you, they do a little bit of laundry, and not just baby's laundry, everybody's laundry. They can cue partners to what they're missing in terms of the emotional need of a birth parent. They sometimes let you sleep. Sometimes my doula sessions look like me seeing a tired mama and taking away her baby and holding that baby for the three-hour session and listening to her brain dump. Because it's a lot to carry, and it's a lot of times women especially have these conflicting thoughts of, I love this little human so much. You can't really wrap your arms around how much you've loved this thing. And also, I cannot stand this little tiny human either. And both of those feelings yes. are okay. Yeah. In fact, they're more than okay. They're right. But they squash that part of really not wanting to be any near anywhere be near that human because they think that deems them a bad parent. And it's, you know, I believe as a parent, and I'm not saying I'm right or that my kids don't need copious hours of therapy as they grow because they will. I know I've done damage. It's okay. <laughs> but 
I think it's important for children to know that we're just humans and you can have two emotions at once and you can love something and hate something and you can be sad and angry and you can be hopeful and have doubt and all of those things are okay. And as a new parent, you think it's going to be just, you know, that like white doves are supposed to fly in and, you know, you're supposed to snap back and breastfeeding is gorgeous. And, you know, it's no, it's pregnancy is gross. It's messy and dirty. Birth is gross. Babies are gross. You know, like that's all. And the, you know, that's all very, very real. And doulas come in and they let you do all of those things. Not all. You know, some doulas that's not their thing. And and my my approach doesn't fit all doulas, all mamas necessarily. But we are we're yeah. It's a it's the world of mother loving. I think is very important for all women to have just a non-judgmental place of support is really, really needed. You know, it's interesting because before I rebranded for this podcast to be Mamas in Training, it was called The Pumping Podcast. And primarily what I was doing was interviewing moms about their journey into motherhood. So oftentimes the episodes, well, not oftentimes, 99% of the time, the episodes would really just be the story of my guest and how they went from what was life like before they had a baby and they entered motherhood, their pregnancy and birth experience. And then, you know, after, and I've shifted that now to be a little bit more focused on how we can best prepare things to implement, things like that. However, today with speaking with you, I wanted to go back to the storytelling aspect because I think through stories, we're able to really help remember that we're not alone and that other people have gone through things and no matter what beautiful light smile that they have coming across on Instagram or when you first meet them in person, there's, you know, like Shrek says in, in Donkey, there's layers, you know, <laughs> absolutely. And there's layers to that onion there. So we're going to go ahead and, and go into your story, Liz, because I think it's important for women to hear and to remember that this is not a comparison game, but everybody has their story. And we've talked, I've talked about this before. If you have a desire to be a mom, like I say this in my, in my words, I know that I will be a mom, no matter how it comes about. Even if I have to adopt a, a 15 year old, you know, ideally I would want it to be a different way but I will make it happen however I can. And, and luckily today in this modern age, we can do that. So if you are that way, and if you happen to be struggling and you're listening to this episode today, I want you to know that someone like Liz can be a light for you to know that just keep going, find the support that you need. Um, and, and I'll just stop talking because I want I want to get into it. So no, I love that introduction. That's so lovely. And actually, this is a little part of my story. But to that end, my youngest nephew, my brother's son, has a really rare genetic disorder that affects one in every 110,000 people. Wow. And he is, it's a spectrum and he's higher and healthier on the spectrum than others. But it also can have a mortality rate. I'm also Jewish. And I carry, we, and I'm an Ashkenazi Jew, which has a whole panel of genetic problems that can go along with it. And I myself am a carrier of three of those. So thankfully, my children's father, I'm in, 
I'm going through a divorce right now, but oh. he's, which also is all good too, because he's still my, my buddy, but he isn't, which saved us. Oh, wow. So along that path before, with, and this is a part of my story, but when we first decided to get pregnant, we went through very extensive genetic testing because I... And I was a behavioral therapist for kids with autism before I was a stay-at-home mom and now a doula. I didn't want, it didn't work for me and my family to be able to, to potentially bring in a baby that wasn't going to be healthy or had, the, I didn't think I'd be able to, I mean, life gives you what you didn't know you could handle, but I exactly. didn't think I'd be able to manage watching a little person pass. Um, so to that end, and, and I you know, similar feeling to you really felt like I was born to be a mom, given what my professional background had been for years. But I had made peace with that and it would have come in maybe a bunch of different ways. But that was a part of my story was talking to somebody about surrogacy or not even mm -hmm. to have our own children or what we were going to do and how that was going to look. And our path, had, should we have gone that way, would have been through fostering that what was what felt right to me. But that was a part of our story and getting comfortable with that. And yeah. because I am a mother lover, and I think I use that word mother as it sort of engulfs all women to me, because mm -hmm. I think that we are a nurturing gender and we are yeah, lovers. I <laughs> so I have friends and who chose not to be a conventional mom. They have babies that are furry or they are mm -hmm. great aunts. And I think all all those paths, I think the shame needs to be taken away from all of that and they need to be celebrated because it is not there none of them come with easy choices or or the ability to stand up easily and be proud of it without people going back to those opinions that everybody Completely. has. Yeah. <laughs> so, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. And and I think it's interesting because with your story I'll, I'll kind of give away the ending mm -hmm. is that you do have two beautiful little ones. Well, not so little anymore. They keep growing up on me. Yeah. <laughs> Won't they just stop? Why do they I do know. that? I know. <laughs> I, but you know, it's so funny. I feel that way. And then because you can have two feelings at once, it's so fun to watch. Every time I think I'm, I'm more in the last stage, they're in this new one. And and so your pregnancy journey, actually, when you looked at it, you know, clearly you say you went through all of this pre-testing and this work ahead of time, mm -hmm. and then you go, went ahead and tried to get pregnant, and that was an easy part of it, right? Absolutely. So it it's so interesting. We always spend our lives, like, trying not to get pregnant, right? Like, that's yeah. what all women do. Don't do that. And then I had friends who experienced IVF and a lot of trouble getting pregnancy, and I thought that was going to be... I was, I didn't think I was going to have that, but I was certainly a little bit concerned about it. But I, thankfully, my husband could sneeze on me and I was knocked up. So <laughs> because we had gone through all these steps, like a, a, a good six month period of some pretty intense genetic testing with bummer of her results, I, I like to refer to myself as a genetic cesspool. I thought the pregnancy part was going to be really easy. And a lot of people only worry about that first 12 week period and that miscarriage part, which is awful. I actually don't love that we keep that a secret, that we don't tell people. I mean, I fully respect families that don't want to tell anybody because that may not be how they grieve should God forbid something happen. But there's also some families that are so excited and 
the idea of having to not share that excitement because something could go wrong and then god forbid something going wrong and not telling anybody because nobody knew so you're carrying those miscarriages by yourself all of we need to change it all up none yes. of it works it's not okay yes. um so yeah so we decided to get pregnant uh we knew all the the things that we were potentially getting into given my genetic cesspool ways we had chosen <laughs> to have a cvs we were choosing to have a cvs test done which is i don't know if your audience knows or if you know but a cvs test know. is done around i think it's around 16 to 18 weeks and it's when they go into through the belly with a needle and they test the amniotic fluid uh. to find out it's a really intense, mm -hmm. another genetic testing to see the health of the baby. And the test came back okay. It, it's interesting now, this would have been 13 years ago now, the amount of things I didn't know. And mm -hmm. I am, I, I'm an... I'm a weirdly very laid back, intense, neurotic person. So like <laughs> <laughs> my neuroses and my anxieties really only affect me, but yeah. I don't, everything else I don't like nothing, but then at the same time, like nothing really bothers me. Yeah. So, okay. <laughs> I I'm in therapy. That. It works, but um, <laughs> we all are. <laughs> yeah. Right. So I was not a woman who researched and did, I bought what to expect when you're expecting and I read kind of half of it. <laughs> and I, I was really in firm belief that my doctors knew what was best. And what was interesting with my first pregnancy was I should have known that I was always going to land being a doula, but I had been in a birth with a friend who was afraid to be there by herself with her husband. They both, we all grew up together and they both kind of like, would you mind? And I said, yes. And her birth ended up in a C-section. So to me, I had done sort of great research because I had seen doctors in a birth that I was using. Experience, yeah. Yeah. So I got pregnant. I was very sick from the jet jump. I was a behavioral therapist at the time. I was very hell-bent on doing what was right, I thought, for my baby. So I did not take any medications. I didn't do Zofran. I didn't do anything because I didn't want anything to happen to my baby. And I was getting sick on good days only eight times a day, on bad days like 16, 17 times oh, a day. Oh, goodness. Yeah. And again, I just, I went to work. I just kept moving forward. And I didn't think to, like, I kind of complained to my doctors, but I didn't really think to overly complain. Yeah. So we moved through our pregnancy. We go through for the CVS test. You have to drink a lot of water before that because they want, I don't know, because you do. Yeah. I don't know why. Um, I was a teacher, so I have a teacher bladder. I can go hours without doing it. <laughs> <laughs> and I lay down on the table for the needle to be you know, inserted, and they're having a hard time. And they kept asking me to go empty my bladder. Apparently it was too full. And I went and emptied my bladder like three different times. And again, looking back on it, because I just believe what doctor said, a nurse, always believe your nurses, nurses know everything, pulled <laughs> me aside and said, you don't have to keep doing this if you don't want to. We can do a later test, you know. And I was like, it's okay. You know, I just went, it's okay. again, like I'm pretty laid back. And I, so looking back on it, that if I knew now what I knew then, I don't know if that contributed to what happened next, okay. but it was off. So I had these factors that weren't going great. I also have low blood pressure naturally. And preeclampsia is 135 over, 
is diagnosed preeclampsia is 135 over, I believe, 100. My blood pressure usually sits at like 90 over 60. So if I got to 120 over 80, now I know that is is high for me. That's a big elevation. But I would go in and my blood pressure was always 120 over 80. And I preface all of this by always telling people that my birth story sort of sounds like the beginning of a lifetime movie event. <laughs> so if people can brace themselves at the same time that I was pregnant with what was going to be the first grandchild on my then husband's side and the third on my side, I, my, my father-in-law at the time was, was, um, at the end of his life. He had battled cancer and was very sick. So everybody was very excited for this new life to come. Um, so around uh, 28, uh, at the, on the 26th week, I still to this day sometimes get fatigued and get Bell's palsy. And when I'm before I'm about to get sick, I get Bell's palsy, which is if people don't know. It's when it looks like one side of your face has fallen. It looks like you've had like a stroke. It doesn't hurt. It's a neurological thing. So it was around 26, 27 weeks. I was doing respite care at the time. So working in the afternoons and I called my husband one day at work and I said, I'm not feeling great. Would I don't know why I thought he was going to do anything, but would you meet me for lunch <laughs> to see if I look as crazy to you as I'm feeling? I walked into where we were meeting for lunch. And he took one look at me and said, oh my God, you look like shit. Yeah, this, is, this isn't, this is you're not the right color. Yeah. Your face is falling. There's a lot of things wrong. Take yourself to the doctors. So I had lunch because you get, girls got to eat, especially when you're getting sick all the time. <laughs> um, we had lunch and I called out of work and drove to my doctor's office. And at that time, my blood pressure was like 125 over like an 85 or 90, which is as they were saying at the time, is borderline for preeclampsia in regular times. And I was what they considered on the line at that moment. Now, in hindsight, I was clearly preeclampsic because it was such a big leap from where I usually sit. So I went to the doctor. There was a few other things that they saw. My coloring was off and they asked me, I really, women, advocate for yourself because I really yes. did it. Um, they asked me to drive myself to the emergency room, which I did. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So I drove myself to the, I called my husband. I told him I was going to the emergency room. He said, do you need me to come home? And I said, no, I don't think it's a big deal. You know, I'm fine. And I went and I sat in the emergency room and for hours to the point that this was like after lunch at like five, I said, do you mind leaving work early? This is kind of getting crazy. And I had x-rays. I had an ultrasound, but and I didn't know to know what I didn't know. A fetal monitor was never put on me. Nothing was really being was being observed. Um, they didn't know what was wrong with me, and they asked me to spend the night. Um, the hospital was busy, so the maternity floor was full, and they didn't have a spot for me. So they put me on a telemetry floor, which is like I was. Oh most goodness. people are like in their 80s, and we were never seen. They were just, I was just sort of there. I don't, I, to this day, my, like why am I, why was I, my partner, I still don't know, yeah. you know, my then husband, and I still don't know what really happened. So he went to work. I was feeling fine the next day and I never saw a OBGYN or mine. I just spoke to them on the phone and I asked to go home. So flash forward about 10 days and unfortunately my father-in-law has passed away and we live in outside of Philadelphia in this area, the Jersey Shore is the home of everything wonderful. <laughs> then there, his family was down in the Atlantic City area 
um, at the shore and all of the services and things were going to take place there. So we were charged with sort of gathering his belongings from the hospital where he was and bringing them to the family. And so we headed down to the shore. I was 28 weeks. I know I will never forget it because everyone, it was one life had left and another one was coming and everyone was very excited. And we were all sort of celebrating that I had gotten to this 28 week mark because my pregnancy had been my father-in-law, my late father and I used to joke that like pregnancy and cancer sort of felt the same. We had weird cravings. We were nauseous. We were fatigued, like all these different things. (laughs) So we had all celebrated that like once you get to that 28 week mark, your baby should cook for as long as possible. Please don't misunderstand. But there's a 95% survival rate should God forbid something ever happen. And we had sort of felt like I was over the hump. I didn't want to be pregnant anymore because it was awful. And I was like in the final stretch. It was a big celebration of being in the final stretch while we were mourning his loss and preparing for the funeral that was going to happen the next day. So we all go to bed and I wake up the next morning and I'm not feeling great. I feel like I have to poop and maybe I'm constipated. Again, something that happens very commonly in pregnancy. Um, And I say to my then husband, I don't feel well. I feel like I have to poop. Let's go for a walk and maybe it'll sort of mix things up. Um, It's very early in the morning. It's about six o'clock in the morning and we go for a walk. And looking back on it now, even right at the time, looking back on that moment, I should have known that something was really going wrong because my in-laws beach house had steep steps to get to the front door. And I went up on my hands and my knees the way little kids go up because I I was so fatigued at the time that I I couldn't get up any other way. But it was my father-in-law's funeral. My husband was to speak there. I wasn't, as women often are, focused on what my needs were. Yeah. or the needs of my baby, and quite honestly, the needs of my then husband too, because it's a lot for him. So we go upstairs and I go to the bathroom and there's a drop of brown blood in my underwear, which is also not necessarily uncommon in pregnancy. You can have breakthrough bleeding occasionally, uh, but I wanted to call our doctor who was back in where we lived, which was about an hour away, and they said, you should be fine, this happens, but just take yourself to the ER, let someone listen to the baby and make sure everything's okay. And we were reassured that everything was fine and that we would be back from this check-in in time to make, you know, for my husband to still give the eulogy. So we go to the hospital and in the car going to the hospital, there was just this moment that I, I thought I was going into labor. I just didn't, I felt... The only word I can describe, which I now know is not labor, was I felt really out of control. I did feel cramping and uncomfortableness, but everything felt like very blurry and out of control. And I couldn't like, I couldn't get my mind around what was sort of happening. So I am tenacious and stubborn at times. And I knew that something was really serious because I actually allowed my husband and the nurses to bring a gurney to the car to get me into the hospital. And every, my blood pressure skyrocketed. And I was sort of fading in and out of consciousness. And then just as and everyone was hustling around, my then husband, poor guy, was this was terrifying to him as it should have been. And then everything sort of like leveled out. Something, everything sort of like magically got better again. And the plan was the hospital that I was in in Atlantic City did not have a maternity floor. So they were going to take me via ambulance, their affiliates, Atlantic Care Hospital, for me to be observed and for 
everyone to sort of figure out what was going on. So um, a fetal monitor was at that point was put on in that hospital was put on me and we went to the hospital and there was I was in the ambulance by myself so again advocate for yourself and have your partners with you there was a moment in the hospital where I something happened and I heard something a little quirky on the fetal monitor but I thought I was still hearing his heartbeat we get to the hospital I'm taken up to the maternity ward my then husband is parking the car and as a mon as a um, ultrasound machine is being, being put on my belly and my husband is walking in the door where there was once a heartbeat is a very dark circle with nothing happening. And I looked at the doctor and I said, I lost my son, didn't I? And this first doctor was horrible and said, yeah, your, your baby's dead. As my poor serious? husband, yeah, it was awful. As my poor husband is like walking in the door. So he's watching his wife look, I don't even know what I look like. Oh and gosh. he's hearing these words and I, I mean, the only way to describe what happened next is that I just burst out into hysterics. I mean, it was, mm -hmm. I, it was an uncontrollable hysteria. And I just, at the time kept screaming, like, this is just too much sadness for one family. And around the guilt and shame of mothering and female life, I felt really badly and very guilty for what I had done to my husband. Here he was at his father's funeral and his son dies. And how dare my body fail all of us and a house full of people that are waiting for us, you know, for this new baby to come. Unfortunately, stillbirths happen in every one in 100 to 110 pregnancies. And unfortunately for me, I had a friend who had lost a child just a year before at delivery um, through uh, cord being wrapped around his neck. So I actually knew what was about to happen next because I had supported my friend through her experience. So I knew at the time that when you have a stillbirth, what they want you to do is labor through that baby and deliver naturally, which sounds brutal. And it is, but it is the healthiest thing for a woman to do that, yeah. for your body to get rid of something as naturally as possible and to have like the least invasive thought thing hack you know go process as yeah. tough as as delivery is you know in general um so i knew that was what i was about to face and i wanted to be home i didn't want to be at a faraway hospital mm -hmm. i knew that i was gonna have to experience this and i wanted to get through it and then get under my covers and hide from the world afterwards and my then husband was wonderful and supportive and a complete agreement about it and so that's what we decided to do. At the same time, because it was my father-in-law's funeral, everybody in my family and friends were traveling to be at the funeral with us. So mm -hmm. thankfully, my mother and father were able to be there and my brother. And they were all at the hospital. Well, some people were at the funeral. and There was like a word going on that this was happening. Mm -hmm. So they left the funeral, came to me. And my mom and dad were, and brother were able to be there as I was getting ready to go home. Now, the part of this, and I don't know if this is true everywhere, but I know it is true in a lot of ways. When you have an emergent loss like that, and this is why women feel guilt, you get asked a lot of questions about what it is that you did. Yeah. yeah. So I was brought in a room separate from my husband, and I was asked oh, tons of questions. You, go, you get your blood drawn. You know, they're testing a million things. Along with those things are alcohol and drugs. And, and it, I'm sure that is how it should be. 
Yeah. The extent to which it needs to be, you know. So they're doing that, waiting for test results, and they bring me to another room, and they and I start getting questioned pretty intensely about what was happening to the point that I just start crying hysterically, saying I didn't even eat the bad cheese. That was what I kept saying. Like I just didn't, I didn't do any, I didn't do anything. So yeah. I go through another ultrasound where they're really looking and maternal, whatever, and then I get taken back to a room where I get to be dressed, get to get dressed to be released to go home to meet with my doctors and go through what is the process of now delivering my baby. His name is Sonny, so we can just call him Sonny yeah, to deliver Sonny. <laughs> so I, um, I'm getting dressed and I'm waiting in the bed and my mother points out to a nurse that walks in. I had my hands on the sheets. I guess I was under sheets and a pool of blood starts to form around my hand. And my mom says, what's, points to her nurse and says, what's, what's going on there? And the nurse said, oh, we just probably didn't hold down the gauze enough when we were taking blood from her before. And she holds it down and sure enough, the blood stops and we all think, okay, like we're waiting to get released, it's time to go home. As, I, as we're getting ready to be released, I turn to my then husband and I say, I don't know what's happening, but whatever was happening before in that chaos, I'm, I'm feeling it, something's happening again. And I don't know what he said to who or what my mom said to whomever, but with that statement about two doctors and six nurses come running into the room and I'm handed a whole bunch of papers that I'm supposed to sign releases and it's papers, it's three or four papers. If you ask me, I would tell you it was 20 papers I had to yeah. get through to sign. <laughs> but by the last one, I couldn't, I knew I had to write my name and sign my name and I couldn't. I didn't have the strength anymore to put my, to be able to press hard enough. And I was rushed into an emergency C-section and my husband was allowed to be there with me. So this poor man, he was able to hold our son right away. But what happened to me is that I went, I had placental abruption. So that's when the placenta pulls away from the uterine wall. And that act caused me to go into something called DIC. It's like disseminated intervascular coagulants and it basically what it means is all the clotting factors in your body stop working and you're essentially bleed not essentially you are 100 percent bleeding from the inside out yeah and what they told him my husband at the time is that if i would have i wouldn't have made it to the car that would have been the end of my life but here's you spoke out yeah yeah and but here's the amazing thing and this is where you can feel two things at once I will tell anyone and everyone that my son, Sonny Andrew, absolutely saved my life because I knew what he needed to do next and I needed to care for him. So the fact in any other time when I was sick and didn't have this in my pregnancy, I didn't care for me. I was getting sick. I was doing this. It didn't matter. I wasn't saying like blood pressure is wrong, but I knew he had to get delivered. And all I could think of when my body was wrong, that something was wrong with him and yeah. caring for him is what is what made me speak out and he yes. and he saved my life he really did so i went into life-saving measures for my surgery my c-section was emergent which also women should know that when you have like a true 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 life-saving emergency c-section the scar is a lot bigger it's hip to hip <laughs> rather than just in between your pelvis i woke up at four o'clock in the morning in the icu fully intubated and you know by myself because yeah, it was, it was pretty intense. So um, when you lose a child in a stillbirth, it's, when my friend did, I thought it sounded kind of barbaric, but they advise that you hold your child 
Um, yeah. And I had always thought that was really strange. Um, I would, all women should do what they want, but if you're scared of that moment, if you're experiencing that or you do experience, I hope that women can hear my words because you really, really should hold your baby because that, you meet them and you know them. I had a very normal but weird fear when I was pregnant that I wasn't going to love him, that mm. I wasn't going to fall madly in love when I met him. And I was really, really scared of that. Mm. And at four o'clock in the morning on June 26th of 2009, or actually it was June 27th at that point, when they put Sonny Andrew in my arms, I had known him for a lifetime. And they could have put any, I could have picked him out of a hundred little tiny people and he, and he was mine. Um, and those uh, moments, that closure is a really important thing to have because yeah. you, stillbirth is, is awful. It really is. But loss is awful. And mm -hmm. every minute, you know, a little tiny human, whether they're, you know, a minute old, two hours old, 20 years old, it's, that's how much more you grow and you know them and you love them. And when you have a stillbirth, what really gets taken from you, I felt for me, is that you sort of lose that blind hope. When you're pregnant, your baby is anything. It's all your dreams. And you and your partner usually sit there thinking like, oh, you're thinking of names. What color is their hair going to be? Are they going to have blue eyes? Do you think they'll like the things that we like? And when that happens, that's really what you're robbed of. Is that yeah. like the joy of hope and all of that kind of stuff and being able to hold him and have those moments, it still gives you, it stops becoming a figment of, imag of your imagination yes. and it becomes really real. And the reason why women should talk about it and families who've had loss should talk about it is because you're a mom. Mm -hmm. You are a mom, mm -hmm. 150%. Um, and that is hard, you know, in the times that went on and even now, 13 years out and two, you know, two breathers, as I like to call them, you have stories. And when I say like, oh, people talk about like cravings and pregnancies, that people are very comfortable talking about my children's names that are breathing with me or Amelia and Sullivan. They're totally okay about hearing about those. But when they hear about Sun Sunny's, it's off-putting to them. And it isn't it is awful and it's tragic and it's a loss and it changed me certainly, but it, those memories are still wonderful memories. And that's what I have of him. So he was lost at 28 weeks. Um, I went home to recover. I had to be re-hospitalized about two weeks later um, because things were not still right. And then we went through the process of figuring out whether or not I could have children um, and what that looked like. I just have to say, like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I'm like going through so much just sitting here listening to you. And one of my closest friends also um, had a stillbirth and I just found out recently that she's pregnant oh. again, which is a beautiful thing. Scary and beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. First of all, I love that phrase, my children who are still breathing with me. <laughs> Thank you. The point that you make for and and everybody should do this if if unfortunately they have to go through a loss and, and a trauma like this is say that name out yeah. loud you know speak speak that story and i've shared on this podcast a few times about miscarriage about loss about the challenges that go with um 
you know, mamas in training, people who are trying to become a mom. Part of the reason why I was so looking forward to having this conversation is because of your vulnerability and the desire you had to share about stillbirth specifically, because very few women will share this story. But God forbid we find ourselves in these situations, someone hopefully who is listening that I hope never has to go through this, but God forbid they are laying on that hospital bed and they've listened to this. I pray that they remember Liz told me to hold the baby, Yeah, you know, that they, that they remember, you know, to think about it in these positive ways, to name that baby, to speak it out loud. And And to keep that baby being what you dreamed it to be. You know, yes. like I can tell you, you know, I have his picture. They, you leave, everyone has the same loss box. Fold it over. It's me. It, you just know it. If you know, you know. Yeah. And the picture is taken and, and yeah. I can see the beauty in that. And if you can look past kind of the scary stuff, there's a little tiny person there. And I know what his feet felt like, mm. felt like apricots, his little heels. And <laughs> I know like what his hand felt like held in mine. And I, I know and I knew, know, and will always know how much I love him and how he, even though I lost him, and it's different for everyone, please don't misunderstand, and my way is not the right way by any stretch of the imagination, but I knew that I always thought I wanted to be a mom and I was worried that I wasn't going to love him enough. And he taught me such lessons that I carry and teach to his brother and sister and that and he also taught me to 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 mama bear to fight for myself for him i will never fail them the way that i failed him and i by being by not speaking up and not doing those things like we all yeah. deserve that fight and that struggle all of us however you do it but also it wasn't on you no and it's not something you did and you didn't fail. Maybe maybe you could have in the future advocated for yourself more, but you as a mom and as a woman did not fail. Yeah, and that's a big, thank you for saying that very much. That is a big thing because I was really angry at my body for a really long time because we are just expected to be able to have these babies. Like it's nothing yeah. mm-hmm. and it takes 472,000 things to go right and only one little thing to go wrong. And we just think we're supposed to keep moving and we're supposed to keep working. And by the way, keep your house perfect, keep your partnership perfect, keep looking great. You know, this Mm -hmm. whole idea that women don't want to wear maternity clothes necessarily. Get those pants with the pocket right from the start. Yep. (laughs) You're not comfy. It's not comfy. Pregnancy sucks. And that's not true for everybody. Some women love it and they feel better than they've ever felt in their entire life. Not this woman. And I'm a doula and I meet with pregnant women and I have to put my doula hat on because my visceral reaction when I see pregnant people is not an attractive face. Like, <laughs> and I have no poker face and I'm always like, oh God, that's awful. Yeah. And I want to like rub their feet and like pet them and tell them they're beautiful and like bring them whatever is their favorite snacks and buy them us weekly and put on reality TV for them. <laughs> well, you're clearly <laughs> in the right position. So that's <laughs> but it is, it's really, really hard. And we think we're supposed to do it and do it all and do it all with a smile on our face right from jump. And it's, Stillbirth is awful. IVF is awful. 
miscarriage is awful. Sometimes just getting pregnant and the whole thing is awful. Mm -hmm. But we don't, we're not allowed to talk about that. Mm -hmm. And then unfortunately some women carry, and I know I did for a minute, that if you go through all the things that are hard to get to motherhood, that you're supposed to never complain about it, that you're supposed to yeah. always be grateful for it because you almost couldn't have it. That's bullshit. <laughs> and it's so unfair because life is hard. It is. You, there's a million things that you can't control. And there, it is okay as a human. It is normal and regular and should be celebrated on the days where you just want to throw in the towel. And you miss who you were before you were a person who took care of a baby or was a person. The other thing that happens is people mean, people mean so well, but the sympathetic head nod. And you're the person who's broken when yeah. you don't always want to be those things. I wanted, I after Sonny was born, and that's the other thing, he has a birthday. Yeah. And that is what I celebrate on every June 26th, the day he was born. And also, guess what? <laughs> he was born on my birthday. Yeah, he was. <laughs> June 26th is my birthday. <laughs> it's always sunny on June 26th, it by is. the way. It never it rains on June 26th. <laughs> oh, I'm never going to forget that. It's oh true. God. You'll feel the worth of his son, too. I'm so grateful to be able to share that with you. It's chipped up. <laughs> but it's true, and that is what I celebrate every day because I was born on that day, and he was born on that day. And we all learned a lot on that day. And they talk about the death date and you get a death certificate. There are some states that are changing that up, that women are given birth certificates on those uh, days. Yeah. But you're, what you're given on the day that your baby was born is a death certificate. And it doubles down how painful what it is you're already living. And I didn't want to be the sympathetic head nod. I wanted mm -hmm. to be the survivor. Yes. And yes. I wanted to be, and I am proudly, Sonny's mom. Mm-hmm. And that, yeah. I want to touch on a little bit on what women who might be experiencing something like this, what they can do initially after, how can they move on from So this that? is different for, a, so the one thing you can do is that there's a national organization called Unite, and you can Google Unite and you know unite.org, and they have support groups that they run. I went to one. Oh, no, I went to two. By the second one, it honestly didn't necessarily work for me. But what I will say was going to those first two where I went to, I went and had a counselor. It, it can be for both men and women. So you can go mm -hmm. as a couple, you can go by yourself. Um, I just liked knowing that I wasn't alone, that other people were experiencing yeah. it and hearing their story and how they got past it was really helpful. I mean, again, like this was, he'll be 12 this year and mm -hmm. We didn't have quite all of this at that point. Yeah. So yeah. I would go on, search for podcasts, go mm -hmm. to Unite Groups, go on Instagram, find people. If someone is listening to this and you're a day out, a month out, 10 years out, and you want to share, DM me mm -hmm. at Nourished Fam. And let's talk and tell me about your baby. Let's celebrate together or let's cry together or let's do all of it together. That mm -hmm. is huge. It's really, really really big. And then one of the things that I heard, and this was life-changing for me at this support group was someone said, the woman said, grief is like growing a third arm. 
when you lose someone. Mm -hmm. And it's right in the middle of your chest. And in the beginning, it gets in the way of everything. It knocks over every single glass and you can't find a shirt to wear. And it's, you just, it's, you can't hug people anymore because it's right there and it's in the way of everything. And then as time goes on, it helps you reach things you never oh. thought you'd be able to feel or know existed. And that's sort of, I heard that and I thought to myself, that's where I need to live. This is, I'm, you're already a different person when you're, you know, lucky enough to have your baby breathe and come home and do all the things and make you crazy. But you're already a completely different, you're a different person when you decide to get pregnant. You're a different yeah. person when you're pregnant. And then that baby is born and you're a completely different person. So you're still that different person. That's still happening. And that third arm, it does, it makes you, the son, it, so just so everybody knows, we, his name was Sonny before we lost him. My <laughs> marital name was Hamburg and my children's father and I have a goofy sense of humor and we just thought the idea of Sonny Hamburg was a really funny <laughs> name. <laughs> and then so perfectly, it couldn't have been a more perfect name for him Absolutely. because he warms us all the time. And then the other thing to do is to mark the day. So different people do it different ways. Some people do the same thing every year. I now take that day for myself. I go for walks. I make sure I'm in the sunshine more that day. I have quiet moments where I talk to him and I tell him about his brother and sister. I thank him for protecting me because I've got the world's greatest guardian angel. And, the, and then I, on my 40th birthday, I got a tattoo. I sign our names with a pencil son. So I write my mine and my kids' oh, names and he's nice. always signed with me and I put that on myself. That's mm -hmm. in a private place. That's just for me because mm -hmm. he's just mine. I mean, he's his mm -hmm. dad's too, but yeah. he's just mine. Some people wear bracelets. They wear that. They still wear the name necklaces. Some people, it's different for everybody else, yeah. but I think what's really important is to, to search within yourself and with your partner um, to find out how you're going to honor it. The oh, other thing yeah. I think is super important is to know that just because you do it a certain way does not mean that your partner is experiencing it the same way, that they need to mark it the same way, yes. or that you need to share that experience in the same way. You're going to share the grief and the loss, and you're going to share the excitement of the time that you were pregnant. But the way you move through grief is really, really, really personal. Mm -hmm. And it's really, really subjective. Point. And that's okay. So honoring the space that you both share, because the other thing is, I felt really badly for a long time because my partner at the time, I sort of had the luxury, I know this sounds crazy, of being put under. Yeah. And he was awake and yeah. in the room and watching all of it. And that is nightmarish. And I now, do, I'm an antepartum doula as well, and I work with people who have had loss. And I hear that a lot from partners because the woman's giving birth or doing whatever, right. and they're, they're watching pain. And the other one is helpless. Completely. Completely. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a really important thing. We skip that a lot. We skip the partner and what's happening, or partners get sort of caught the partnership gets caught in the mud because you're not doing it together and the same. There's space for everybody in this. Those are the big things that I think are really important. Honor the day, celebrate what you can celebrate and, and mark it in a way that feels right. My kids, when I started this whole adventure, 
my kids did not know that was a weird thing. And people handle this very differently. But that was a thing for me is that I never wanted Amelia, my who was born 13 months and three days later, I didn't want her to ever feel like a consolation prize. Yeah. So we didn't tell her about it for a long time. And then I started this adventure and my logo is a sunshine. And mm. he's a lot of the reason why I do this. And they are too, a hundred million thousand percent. They're why I do everything. But mm. um, we decided it was time. I spoke to their dad first and mm. I said, you know, I'm going to tell our story and I want to know if you're okay with it because it's our story. And mm -hmm. so for those people who don't want to share it because it's theirs and it's private, that's okay too. It just works for me to, to give him life. That's how I see it. Mm -hmm. um, but I, but I had to respect where my partner was coming from, yeah. where his dad. And at what had. age was that? For just, the kids? It was a year ago, just a year. Oh. I launched Nourish Families. It'll be, on July twenty, on July thirtieth. So you didn't tell your other two kids until just a year. Ago. Just a year. We didn't agree on it for a really. I wanted to tell them sooner. I mean, mm. we're getting divorced, so clearly we didn't agree on a bunch of things. But we didn't <laughs> agree on it for a really long time. But then he is wonderful about honoring my passion in this, and yeah. he, even though we're getting divorced, is very excited about me finding this space and supported it while we were married, and is still very lovely about supporting it. Yeah. And the wow. thing, but I said, I'm going to talk about it. And are you ready now? And are you mm -hmm. okay with me talking about it? And he said, now for him, it was a purpose, I think. I don't know. I can't speak for him. I'm guessing, but yeah. it seemed okay for him now. Yeah, and so we did. That. And then interestingly enough, my kids were really, well, not my daughter who will be 11, um, but my son who will be eight, um, were a little mad at me. They were mad at us. They felt like we sort of kept a secret from them. Hmm. And what I said to them was, it's not yours. This is yeah. between dad and I. And as little tiny people, we didn't want you asking about him all the time because it was sad for us. And right. we weren't at a place that we were ready to field those questions from toddlers 24 hours a day. Right. So we both honored their upsetment and we said, we understand it. But this was between us. And right. it was our grief. And we weren't ready until now. It wasn't a lie. It was something that was none of your business yet. <laughs> yeah, and they'll get it. They'll eventually, you know. Now they do. Now they do. And now they. And now we sort of talk about it. My my partner now for Mother's Day, he bought me a the mom necklace, and it's and it's has well, he also put my dog's name on it, but it has four sides, <laughs> and Sonny's Aww. name is on there. And they and they honor it now. Sometimes they'll fight and they'll say things like, oh, well, if Sonny were here, he'd be a deal breaker. He'd, he'd be a tiebreaker. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, he'd probably be annoyed with both of you, but that's yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, then, and then they've asked me more questions, and I was really honest. You know, Amelia, my daughter, who will be 11, I said to her, really, if he were here, you probably wouldn't be. And I can't imagine life without you because, you know, selfishly, I think I have the two greatest little tiny humans on the planet. Yeah. <laughs> and they were who needed to be here. There was purpose for all of them, for me. That's how it feels like for me. So, well, I mean, I started this conversation telling you that the light and the sunshine <laughs> that comes through is just, it's just radiates. And so there's clearly a reason behind that. Oh, and thank I, you. I want to say, I mean, I really wanted to focus on this story of stillbirth 
I want the listeners who are, are have been dedicated with us this whole time <laughs> to know that your story does does not and did not end. Of mm -hmm. course, we're talking about Amelia and Sullivan, but also you had two other miscarriages between Amelia and Sullivan. Mm -hmm. You had other medical complications with both Amelia and with Sullivan. Oh, I'm gestationally disabled. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. like this, this story does not end. And I want, I really want to draw this point home to anybody who's listening that clearly you had a desire. You were a mother lover. You had a desire to be a mom. You didn't let that stop you. If for anybody listening, they go through something anywhere close to this and it's too much for them, absolutely get yourself a little yeah. furry animal friend. And, but for anybody who might need some more support through all of this, you you have to reach out to Liz or anybody who's gone through this situation because you need that, that support, that community. And I, from what it seems, that advice that you gave of really talking about it, breathing life back into their, mm -hmm. their life and their story, keeping their story alive, that's what's going to help you heal over over time. Yeah. And it's just so nice that the work that you're do doing now with your company, Nourished Families, it's coming full circle and yeah. you're able to help. You know, we talked, started off this, this interview talking about what's the purpose of a postpartum doula and your postpartum doula, I want to make sure that I mention this because I saw this in your story and we didn't mention it today, but you had chosen a postpartum doula before even Sunny went yeah. through the complications Absolutely. that you went through with him. So she was set up and ready to go. And then she was already there for you. She was that support system. She so was. I think that's the other thing too, that I want to kind of tie this whole thing up in a bow with and say, if you if you do and have you have the means to get a postpartum doula or do doulas ever work as like doulas in the pregnancy and then also postpartum? Yeah, so currently, yeah. I mean, yeah, I have a client currently. I'm her antipartum doula. I'm not, because of my story and my crazy, I am not a birthing doula. But if you're okay. in the Bucks County, Philadelphia, New Jersey area, I'm connected to a lot of birthing doulas. If you set yourself up with somebody like this. Yeah. That, and I'll I mean, pass. I know the names. And we all love, yeah. the birthing community is beautiful. I mean, you know, you experience it. We love working together. We love collaborating. Yeah. We love cheering. So you're antipartum. And, and in your area, you might not have a postpartum doula that's also an antipartum doula. And wherever you start, more often than not, they're networked in a group of people that can then pass you on to whoever comes next. There's also this really great website called doulamatch.net. And you can put in everything you're looking for in your area and they oh, have reviews great. and lead you to other things and their websites. And you can really, it's a really easy one-stop shop to look for the support that you need. When you go to find a doula, whether it's support in antepartum while you're pregnant or birthing or postpartum or a lactation consultant or any birth specialist, really, we have all very different personalities. And so do you, and you need to find the one that matches best for you. And you will not hurt our feelings if you say, no, you're not it. You know, I am yeah, not that's a really good point. A very type A person. I will go down a type A road with you. I'm like weirdly organized about, but like I said to you, I'm a mother lover. And when I see a mom suffering, I might not push. And there's other doulas that are more medically inclined and more this and more that mm -hmm. and more regimented. And I've met with women and men and said, I'm not yours. 
but I know this person who is, mm -hmm. and you guys are going to be great together. So always yeah. have that in your head of advocating about what feels right and best and safe for you. And in the birth world, it really is a lovely community. We're okay with that. We'd rather you find who fits you best because all we want to do is give you the best possible journey and like leave what you can't in birth, pregnancy, delivery, postpartum, what you can't avoid is the chaotically beautiful, disgusting mess <laughs> that it is. Yeah. And we want to weed it out for you and know that it's chaos and be in the mess with you. But when it's all done and your kids are, you know, where my guys are and this, I can smell the preteen on my daughter. <laughs> yeah. I can look back and know that it was chaos, but there were these really magical moments and I get to still live in those. And that's what you need to think about when you're trying to find the person that meets your needs the best. Well, Liz, Thank you for your strength and and I think what you're doing is essentially telling your story is going to be the most impactful thing. It's really important. The point that you made, there's room for everybody in this world doing everything that they're doing. And so really pregnant women, aspiring moms, if you set yourself up with somebody that you align with, who's really going to help support you through whatever your journey looks like, because you don't know what it's going to yeah. look like. I think that's that's the best advice, but I'm just so, so grateful that you shared this story. And oh, I'm for so those grateful listening, that you gave me the opportunity. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's like, I usually try to keep my episodes a little bit on the shorter end, but I think these stories cannot be shortened. They cannot be um, abbreviated. They cannot be summarized because then we're not telling the stories of of what so many people hide away from yeah you know and if anyone who's out there is listening to this story just know that you're not alone and reach out to someone like liz all of her info will be in the show notes but liz how can people easily find you so you can find me on my website which is nourishedfamilies.org and you can find me on instagram at nourished fam and i am on facebook on nourished families and on that. all of those spots, especially my website, my number's there, my email's there. You can DM me, please. And I think the only thing I want to say is I want all of the women out there who are wherever they are in this journey to know that when you do get to hold your breathers, that <laughs> you can look back on the time that was really difficult because it is all encompassing when you're going through it. But really, it's four seconds on the roadmap of your life. Yeah. And it's a journey while hard and difficult and you need to allow space for it, is does not take over everything. Wherever you decide to land, whether it's through someone else carrying it or you carrying it or a fur baby or wherever it is, it's where you need to be and to honor it, but no, it's not everything. And that's a really, that's, I look back and I think, oh my God, those five years of trying to get two humans here was all I did. And now it feels like four seconds. It was mm. like nothing. So, and it does heal and you do reach things and it it is okay. I'm so excited that we share Sunny's birthday and that, you know, I can't help Sweet. but cry both sadness and tears of joy. So it is, it, you'll, you're, you're doing, I just think that all those women out there who are doing it and getting up every day, wherever they are on it, are amazing. Really, you're crushing it. Just yeah. crushing it.
and remember that that third arm, like you said, Reaches. will be useful. Yeah. It will reach other people like, like you're reaching all of these women today. Oh, thank you, Jessica, so much for the oh opportunity to share. Thank you. <laughs> I'm so grateful. I am too. Thank you so much. <laughs> if you enjoyed the show today, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and leave a review on Apple Podcasts so I know how to better serve you. I'd also love for you to join our community of Mamas in Training on Facebook. You can find me at Mamas in Training on Instagram and at mamasintraining.com. For Mamas in Training, I'm Jessica Lorian. We're in this together.